Do you like retro video games? Then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micros podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Dead Game is the new podcast where award-winning comedy writer Wally Phelps and award-seeing comedy sidekick Carlos Longoria (laughs) use their powers of necromancy to resurrect failing or long-suffering game franchises. From Fortnite to Rock Band, D&D to Double Dragon, listen to Dead Game, where games go to get good. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. Just drop that ass, bitch, it's Open Micers in the house. Pop that pussy with that Open Micers logo in your mouth. Jason with his bald ass head, Jacob looking in bed. It's Open Micers, bitch, heard what I said. Drop that ass, drop that ass, Open Micers in the house. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, Open Micers in the house. Open Micers in the house, Open Micers is a mouse. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, Open Micers in the house. The mic is now open. That's right. The mic is now open. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig, and I'm very excited to have these guys on, man. We've got two Louisiana local comics coming on. Uh, before, before, are... we, before we introduce them, are you going to be able to produce, uh, actually pronounce uh, Drew's last name? Or Fuck no, I... dude. I, I, but I'm going to give it a shot. All right, here we go. I want to hear <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try my best. We'll see if we get another TikTok clip out of it. <laughs> but these guys, we've got two Louisiana native comics coming on. They have been doing comedy for about a year each, I think. They've, I think they've been straight grinding it out. And they have their very own podcast all about crafting that seminal first five minutes of comedy called The First Five Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms. Be able to be sure to go check them out. It's the one and only Michael Corey. That's the easy one. And Drew Gotro. Is that right? Yeah. Did I get it? it? Got it. Fuck yeah, dude. This is a big day for me. I thought I could have sworn you were, I would have bet money you would have said Drew Gotriox. Almost, dude. I knew it sounded like GoPro. So I I just said Drew GoPro in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you didn't say it, I was going to. Heck so what's yeah, up, dude. fellas? How are uh, how's the podcast going? Is it is, is it is it fun thing to do, or is it uh, a lot of work like this one? And I hate my my co-host, Drew. I'll let you take this. <laughs> um, it's fun. It's a lot more work for Michael than it is for me. Uh, I just kind of show up, but we kind of talk a little bit about you know what guests to have on and um. I might throw an idea here and there, but really, um, anything good about the podcast is all the credit has to go to Michael. I mean, you can tell by my production value over here right now. So what I'm hearing is that you're carrying the first five on your back, Drew. That's what I'm hearing <laughs> on my head. I don't know if it's the microphone quality or what, but that's what I'm getting out of that. <laughs> Hey, don't feel bad for like the first hundred episode episodes of this podcast. Uh, Jacob was using a tin can and a string to to do our yeah. podcast, so don't feel bad. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. We a... go ahead, Mike. 
I was just going to say, we started out with audio so that we could ease into it. I knew that going to like a 4K video multicam production with lighting and external microphones and all that stuff was going to be a heavy lift. And that once we cross that threshold, it would be kind of hard to walk it back or anything. And so it was, it was a big leap. Uh, so we just tried to ease into it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, when you first start a podcast like that, like we started, we literally just said, hey, let's do a podcast. And like a month later, we did it. And uh, <laughs> so I just had an HP camera, no microphone mm-hmm. and, and no lighting at all. So like you can literally see if you watch like episode one, episode 50, episode 100, then episode 150. It's just a constant progression on this end of the yeah. screen of, of what I've been able to afford in podcasting. <laughs> Yeah, but no lighting in the world is going to help you at all, Jacob. So <laughs> Okay, it's going to be this kind of podcast tonight. All right, I'll load one up. I'll start putting them in the chamber. Jason chose violence today. <laughs> That's all right. Buddy. We've got all a freaking right, Ghost Rose champion over there, dude. You don't even want to get started. Well, at least yeah, you have you a... Die. At least you have a, a little a little bit of uh, production value this week. You've got like a little string of garland. Yeah, that's all you get. That's all you get. That's all we get. You can't even you can't even see my blanket on the couch, but I got a blanket, a little Christmas blanket going on. Very nice. So that's yeah. At least Drew has the 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 wherewithal to make his entire background the the burgundy uh uh curtain that he's got behind him. You're this is like half wall, half gray, like Dude, Drew looks like he's in Crystalia's green room right now. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's in serious danger of getting touched. Yeah. yeah. This, this is our sex room at our house. <laughs> you need them velveteen curtains. Yeah. So he's very Rogan-esque. So you guys are up to 28 episodes. Is it still fun for you to do? Because most most podcasts kind of fade after about 15 or 20. So most don't even make it that far. But, you know, about the 15th or 20th episode is when people start to be like, you know what? This is actually work. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, the, the thing is, it is a local podcast. It's really kind of aimed at the people in our scene and our neighboring scenes. And then there's a couple of scenes that are, are far enough away that trying to get the heavy hitters from like New Orleans, for example, to come out and and do a recording here in Lafayette would be that'd be a big ask. So we we're we're to the point now where unless someone's willing to come when they have a show booked here, we're gonna start repeating guests. We're gonna have to start coming up with segments. Um, I think that a really good direction for us to go would be to start having a significant portion of the podcast be just Drew and I without a guest, and then bring the guest in for a more concentrated interview. I don't know if that's the way that you guys, I don't, I haven't seen a full episode, so I don't know if you guys spend some time just y'all before you bring us on, but, uh, or if that's after, but I do think that, yeah, I mean, by the time you get to 28, 30 episodes, you've interviewed, there's five or six more people that we'd really like to get in that we think we can get. And the rest of them are just so far away. Uh, logistically it's, it's tough. And, and the zoom thing that you guys do is great. Uh, it kind of forced me to learn how to do it for tonight's uh, recording. And so, yeah, if we could try to do that, maybe that'd be a good direction to go as well. But yeah, I mean, by the time we get to this point, it is tough to come up with ideas and keep it fresh. 
Yeah, yeah. I would definitely give it a shot. I, that, that's the whole reason we stayed on Zoom. You know, we did it out of a necessity because we started podcasting in 2020. So we we started podcasting because we couldn't go do live comedy anymore. And then we kept it that way because by the time stuff started opening back up, well, we were getting guests on the podcast like Sean Patton and people who will, who are never going to come through this area. And right. so it's like, all right, well, then we'll just stay on Zoom and then talk to this level of people consistently instead of trying mm-hmm. to get someone to come to a studio space in Gulfport, Mississippi. That's, right. you know, they're they're not going to be willing to do. That's really impressive to to be able to get work in comics to to do your pod. I mean, we we kicked around that idea, but we're not Jason and Tyler. You know, we can't just make a call and then have like a national headliner come and sit down for a conversation with us. So uh, it's really impressive that any of you guys are doing that, honestly. I mean, the, you could definitely get it done. You know, I can I can teach you some stuff uh, off camera. I don't want to throw all my secrets yeah, up there to everybody. But <laughs> if that's something yeah. y'all are interested in, I can definitely help y'all out. Yeah, we're um, all ears. See, so, okay. So starting the first five podcasts. All right. You guys are, are open mic comics. What's the decision to start the podcast based around crafting the first five minutes, which is an incredible premise, by the way. Thanks. We had some help with that. But Drew, do you want to talk about, because it was your idea to start a podcast. Yeah, I thought it would be something... Um... It would be a, a different muscle to work out to see, um, you know, when you do stand up, you have an act, you have bits already written, so you, you have a script to follow. I wanted to work on, work on the skill of, of just talking and, and see if, you know, I could be, if we could learn how to be interesting and be funny that way. And I, and I think that would also help the stand up because in stand up, no matter how good your act is, some things are going to happen and you're going to have to, you're going to have to work on your feet. You're going to have to think off the top of your head. So I figured this would be a good thing for us to do, especially being so new to stand up, any little thing you can do to, to help you get better, you know, then you, we should do it, you know? And then you, I'm start, I've learned a little bit about audio video and things like that, which the way comedy Don't believe you, Drew. is now. <laughs> I haven't learned how to do it, but I've been made more aware of things, you know. And comedy now is kind of is very self-produced the way the industry is, you know. You kind of have to learn that shit, mm-hmm. that technical stuff. Well, another yeah. thing too, like that, me and Jacob uh, found just by doing the podcast is we get a lot of ideas too, uh, just from the podcast itself. Like some of the stuff we'll say or talk about, and be like, "Huh, oh, that might be a pretty good bit." you know, to try out mm-hmm. on stage. So that's a good part of it. But one of the things I wanted to ask you guys, you know, you've, you've both been in the stand-up game for a year. Uh, the first, and I don't know if you were like this, Jacob, but when I, for my first year or two, I felt like I had to write a new five minutes every single yep. week. And then after you know, a year or two, it kind of it slowed down a lot. Are you, are you guys still in that mode or or were you ever like that or what's kind of your 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 deal well i sort of uh, i've talked to people i want to say that joshua jordan said something similar like when he first started out he was just trying to crank out a new five minutes every time he went up um i wasn't doing that on purpose i was just um but i think i was kind of accidentally 
moving around a lot, trying to figure out a, you know, a style, a voice, um, trying a lot of different things on to see what fit me well. And, uh, but it didn't take me very long, just coming from a musical background, having some idea of how to put on a show and be entertaining that I needed to focus in on something and start developing. I hate to say an act being this, this new to I'm 18 months in, you know, so it's, it's hard to refer to what I do as an act, but that really is what I'm trying to do. So yeah, we, we, the five, the five minute, the the first five idea, actually, we were kicking around like, Hey guys, can you help us out with a name <clears throat> for the podcast? And it was Tyler Arsenault that came up with that concept. Yeah. Uh, something he's a lot more familiar with, you know, the idea of <clears throat> what you need to do when you first start out, what you need to focus on in order to be strategic. Let me just shout out Tyler. I know that he's he's on every podcast and he's you know everybody knows who he is, but the thing that I really admire about him is he is such a strategic mind. And I I I spend a lot of energy in my mind with the ADHD and everything, but I don't I don't make it useful the way that he does. He is so intentional about everything that he does. He's got good thought out reasons for why he does what he does. So he helped us come up with a name. And so, yeah, the idea of building the first five minutes, we, we did move past that kind of quickly. Like Drew got to the point where he was doing 10 minutes pretty early on. Um, with me, it took longer, but yeah, we, we still, I don't know, Drew, do you feel like you have like a tight five that is so tight that it doesn't need any work? Mm, probably. Yeah. I think so. You probably have, have a couple. Think about what it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I have a couple. It would probably depend on uh, what kind of what kind of vibe or crowd they would have. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And Jason, you said something about ideas coming up, uh, like you sitting down and just talking for a couple hours on a podcast and ideas for bits. Uh, Drew's got a great bit about aliens that was completely organically developed on the podcast when we had uh, a guy in from new Orleans, we had him as a guest when we were just talking and it's, I mean, I won't make him do the bit, but it's, it's a great bit. And that's was, how it came up. Was it pickle? Was pickle your guest? No, this was Brandon Haynes, but uh, wow, it was okay. pickles going to be uh, at atmosphere tomorrow night, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to see this before then. <laughs> I, I also said another thing on the podcast that was, that, was pretty funny on the podcast and i thought oh that's a bit and i made it a bit and i said it on stage one time and it just grossed everyone in the room out it was the most unpleasant thing i've probably said on stage in my whole life and, can you uh, remind I've us what that was yes please mouth. please share drew please, please tell share. us what that was <laughs> I, I i kept the premise I, I, but it need, i need to do it differently but basically it would be when the when the sex robots are going to get really good. They're going to be very expensive. So they won't really be available to men that need them the most. So if we had like, sort of like Blockbuster, but you would rent a sex doll instead of a movie, you know? <laughs> That's hilarious, dude. That's hilarious considering like right now you can't even return one. Like if you buy it, that's it. <laughs> yeah, see that would, that would be sort of what I thought would be funny. Part of the joke would be people would think that's gross. You know, you some other dude 
was just nutting in this thing last night. And now you are. I was like, we do that with real women already anyway. So I, I don't see what the difference is. It's all coming back to me now. That's so good. <laughs> it's, it's like when you rent a car and they Didn't ding work. you with that cleanup fee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, a number on this one. On stage at all, but, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a good bit. Really hard, there's, there's meat on that bone. There's meat on that yeah. bone. See, and yeah, I, I think, think it needs some padding. Yeah, and I and I think when when you guys get further into comedy too, like I remember my first three years in comedy, I was just cranking out bits, cranking out minutes, and doing them on stage, and then just bombing it so hard. And then when you keep doing it, and you get further into comedy, and you start understanding why things are funny, what makes them funny, like keep like keep that bit in your notebook. And two years from now, yeah. you'll be able to make it a viable joke. Yeah. 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 That's Anyways, no one wants to take comedy advice from me. <laughs> oh no, I'll, I will take it, dude. I've had people they they got yeah. off stage after their first open mic and say something smart. Like it, it's that's the thing. I think we all need to be listening to each other. Um, the. There's so there's so many things that you go in like you watch people do stand up so many times but you're watching everybody's hour you know or, or if you really start nerding out you can get into all this you know like like dry bar specials and don't tell specials and all these like lesser prof oh, yeah. like lower profile things that people do that aren't HBO and Netflix or whatever anyway uh, you you watch all the people do it so well and there's a huge gap between the kind of things that you need to be learning when you first start and the kind of things you can learn from watching somebody do a really polished hour. Um, and so I think that's that, that gap there is, is I think we're like podcasts like yours and ours come in is, is giving people that don't have a lot of experience baby steps uh, yeah. that they can take to get better. What's well, amazing how know. many people <clears throat> will, will be so confident and myself included going into that very first open mic and just completely bombing because you think that just like, you know, I, I can, I can get on stage and do that. And you get up there and you find out real quick, you know, that, that you, you, you watch George, a George Carlin special. He was probably out doing that material for a year before he even thought about recording it, honing it, you know, seeing what worked, what didn't work. And it, and it's, I love the times and, and Jacob knows about this too. Some of the times here at some of the open mics, whenever some hecklers get called to go up on stage to do, you know, five minutes and they just like, we had one guy left in tears <clears throat> one night and wrecked <laughs> his car because he bombed so hard. Yeah. Well, he got a DUI. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> it, it, so it was a first time. It was like a guest host for the what open mic. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so there there was like a guest host for the open mic and um the she like put him up on stage because he was heckling everyone so bad. And so we in turn as professional comedians stood in the back of the room and heckled him much better than he could ever think about <laughs> heckling anybody else. And he left crying and got pulled over by the cops, got a DUI, went to jail called his buddy that we had made friends with to come get him and he just hang up he hung up on him and let him spend the night in jail. <laughs> wow. Ruin the man. 
We ruined his whole career, dude. <laughs> that's what Seriously, happens. That that is, that's what happens when you heckle, man. We'll ruin your life. <laughs> I yeah, love that. Probably, you know, his wife probably left him. He doesn't see his kids anymore. <laughs> Shouldn't he doesn't see comedy anymore. <laughs> shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have heckled, man. We used some of that instant regret last night. We did a show at Artmosphere, and uh, there was a really aggressive, drunk heckler. And then it seemed like when he left, somebody else took over for him. Like, they were tag-teaming. It was crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. We don't typically see that. We don't. I have yet to see a heckler really get owned or, or just, you know, in, anything that would make them really regret. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like people in Louisiana... The, 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 in the scenes that I get exposed to, they're a little bit less confrontational, and they they tend to just be like, "Let's get through this." I, I don't know. Is it is it less like that out in Mississippi? Oh, it's definitely very confrontational. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to think about times that I've been in New Orleans and maybe dealt with a heckler, but I don't think that I can say that I have. I think most of the times I've done New Orleans, the crowd has been pretty generous in the fact that if they don't like what's happening they'll just be quiet yeah yeah most most of the heckling i've experienced so far it's not like it's not a mean kind of heckle usually they're excited about the show Mm -hmm. and they're laughing and they'll start saying things so it's kind of hard to really be like hey shut the fuck up because they're kind of on your side already so you gotta have to kind of find a way to to just roll with it because the being mean thing doesn't work as good in that scenario, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I will say I, I the first time I ever performed in New Orleans, I did Brew Curry Brewing back when Michael Hall and uh Eric Dryblatt, I think his name was, were I doing that room that back show. in like twenty nineteen. Yeah, I remember that. And show. uh Thing, there was a comic from Hattiesburg that had gotten booked too. I'd never met him or heard from or heard about him or anything. And he did this like really weird, kind of over the line pedophile joke. Mm-hmm. And he like got booed. Like people were booing him. There was this one lady who got like really animated about the fact that she did not like that. And I followed him and I did a pedophile joke and I got a huge laugh. And then I oh, did no. like I did like two minutes about like fuck that guy <laughs> oh, man. because the crowd hated him. <laughs> right, just eat your own. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. I, I've done that. I've had this. Well, I've had I've had experiences where I did a joke that I'd been working on, and then another comic got up behind me and just did like a way better version of the joke. And then it's it's not so much like fuck that guy it's more like you just feel so stupid when your joke doesn't work and then somebody else gets up behind you and does the ass-eating joke that has everybody on the floor laughing and you're like damn swing and a miss well that's beautiful too because you you know me personally if if i even see someone else that's doing a similar bit on a similar topic i'll i'll retire it Mm -hmm. because i i want to do stuff that no one can repeat no one else can have like a better can even get a chance to have a better take on because it's like so personalized to my joke writing that I, I don't even want to give anyone else a chance of sniping out from under me. Right. You know, the first time I heard somebody say a similar sentiment, I was like, oh, I don't think I could do that. But now I've 
been around the block just enough times to be like, you're talking some wisdom right now. Like you, it really is a good idea to differentiate yourself from others as much as you can. So yeah, just retire it. There's too many other things out there, there you could be writing about, like you said, are much more personal. For sure. Uh, all right. I want to start talking about you guys as comedians instead of just podcasters. Um, uh, Michael, we'll start with you. Tell us about your first ever time doing comedy, your first ever open mic, and what made you want to start comedy? So wanted to do it ever since I was a kid. It was one of those things that where it just seems so far away and impossible. And there's just so much pressure to be to choose a more practical path. And I, I, music, I excel at a little bit more easily. So uh, I didn't really get around to starting to be serious about like, I really want to try to look into this until probably like 2019, something around in that ballpark. I, I was watching a lot of Rogan experience and, you know, the intellectual dark web was kind of starting to, to be a thing. And, you know, there was a lot of really interesting topics being discussed, but then uh, it's comedians for the most part talking about it. And so the, the, I just started to feel like there was a sense of, oh, there's a community of, of comics. There's a fraternity or whatever of, of comics out there, and they all kind of have certain things in common. Um, and then after the pandemic, I had some time to just slow down during the pandemic and think about and reevaluate my life. And then my wife was like, you should just start by going and Googling or looking on Facebook. And sure enough, Jason has the most, you know, the most Googleable, like Lafayette comedy, like if that's what you're going to Google. Right. And so that's, that's what I found. I found his Facebook and I reached out and they were just about to kind of come back from the pandemic and start doing open mics at the beer garden uh, downtown in Lafayette. So that's, that's what I did. I, I went and stalked the scene for a while, uh, fully with the intention of like, I'm going to go up. I just want to get a little more comfortable with the players and, and, and get an idea of what it's like. Cause I really didn't pay attention to live comedy prior to wanting to get involved in it so i just would watch the open mics only the open mics i didn't go drew i think we'd go to ticketed shows i just i just really kind of hung out at the open mic every week until i worked up enough nerve and i was working on an idea of five minutes worth of material and then i just got up there and did it and i got you know some laughs it wasn't terrible um but you you get that first time grace from a crowd uh, that just immediately disappears on, on your second time up. Um, and so, like I said, since I experimented with so much different stuff and, uh, and the rest of it, the first six months is a bit of a blur. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get up like by the time it, it wasn't a whim or anything. It was a very carefully thought out, very slow ramp up to this is something serious. I really want to do long-term, um, I, I listened to enough people talk about it to know that maybe for the first 10 years that I would be God awful at it and nothing good would come from it. And so I went in with that mindset, like maybe when I'm 50, I'll start to be funny. Um, hope and yeah, you, so that was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jackass. Drew, what was it like for you? Uh, similar in a way, like it wasn't just a win thing. I had, probably for at least a year or more or whenever i found out there was an open mic then i really it was already the idea was in my head and it i was took me a while to build up the courage and i was going to watch a lot of open mics and stuff 
and uh but I was doing this thing where I was I wasn't going up because I didn't feel like I had what I was had written was good enough and I needed to to put in the work on the writing and finish it. And then um I was watching Rogan on like a Sunday and he had uh Louis CK and Joe List on when they were promoting that movie that they made together. And Louis was saying that if you want to do stand up, he said the first step is to go up. Don't worry about any of that other shit because you'll never go up. Your writing will never be good enough. You're just gonna keep rewriting and rewriting till eventually you hate the thing and you'll throw it away and then you'll start writing something else and you'll just write forever and you'll never get on stage. And then when I heard that, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. So at that time, the open mic was on Thursday. And I told my wife, I said, Thursday, I'm going up. Between now and then, I'm going to try to write whatever I can write. But on Thursday, I'm going up with whatever I've got. And I told only one friend about it. That way, I would be less likely to chicken out if I had a friend that knew. So then if he asked about it, it's like, yeah, I didn't do it. There's a person out there that knows that, you know, I chickened out and didn't do it. And then I went, it was fucking rainy and everything. Like, even on the way there, the weather was, it was like a, a fucking storm. And, and I was like, well, maybe we'll turn around. But then I was like, no, because the next week it'll be another thing. And I won't go up next week either. Then I did it. Kind of bombed. Not too terrible. But um, even, it didn't go too, it didn't go well. But when I got off, and I knew it didn't go well the whole time I was on stage, but I got off and I was like, well, now that I can do this, like, I'm never going to not do this. I'm going to keep doing this as long as I can do it. Even if I'm not good at it, I'm going to do it anyway. And then the second time was really good. It went way better. I wasn't expecting it. And then I was really hooked after that. Right. That, that brings up a good point. I think that I wrote for probably three years before I, I got on stage. And oh. I, yeah, dude, it, you will find yourself if you don't just go bite the bullet and go on stage, you'll find yourself writing mm -hmm. for a long, long time and just throwing stuff away and rewriting and all that. Because, you know, it, it as a creative process, it's something that you need to do while you're doing it. Like that's that's why every comic in the world writes their new hour while they're on tour with their hour like you have to be doing it and writing it at the same time in order for it to be comedy yeah. i feel like that's just you know if, the, the process. Even like now like now if i have a new idea for if i think like oh i've got a joke and i write a joke and i'm like oh this is a good joke and i'll be writing it and tighten it up if the open mic isn't if i don't have a a mic to go to like that night or the next night. If I sit on that joke and I can't tell it on stage, it then I start to hate the joke, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm, I'm tinkering with it and tinkering with it so much. The best thing is like when you come up with an idea for a joke, like that day and you get to do it that day and you're excited, you know, so even if it's not that great, you'll do a better job of performing it because you're so happy, you know, you think you got something good and you're more likely like to, keep working on it you know so before i even went on stage the first time i did that for like a year you know just sitting on sitting on an idea until you hate it you know
This podcast is brought to you by our mobile gaming partner, Globe Glider. If you like the fast-paced action of games like Flappy Bird mixed with the strategy of Balloons Tower Defense, then Globe Glider is for you. Making a donation to the game using our partnership will not only give you sweet in-game prizes, but also unlocks an exclusive open micers cape and helps a small indie gaming company thrive. Download Globe Glider now on the App Store or Google Play. We got to tell you guys about b Coffee Company. That's right. b Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by game. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. Yeah. That reminds me, uh, me and Jacob both started on the very same night. And then, um, what was it, Jacob, about a year or so ago, we were going to do uh, an, uh, a mic where we were going to actually go back and re- do our very first five minute or our very first set we ever wrote to see if we could do it any better late was like that a thing we were later. gonna do yeah it was a thing we were gonna do <laughs> okay. but I, I i can't find my original set that i wrote for that night like i don't know where that book is it's gone yeah i i have it i still I've I've weeded out through a lot of it, but I still do like one really good bit that I had that was in my first five minutes. Like it's it's still in the in the rotation. But yeah, me too. There's yeah. one small joke that I still do, and it's one of the things they love the most. But it's way different than it was yeah. that first on. Right, and I, I want to kind of ask you guys about you know starting on the scene that you're at too because when when me and jason started there was really not a comedy scene and then there was a comedy scene that's growing but it's not very supportive and then you know that comedy scene dies and then there's you know just a lot of evolution a lot of you know not not very not being very close-knit with a lot of people what's it like coming up on a scene where it seems like there's a a lot of advice to be given a lot of supportive people to look up to and like a, a lot of, you know, OG comics to sort of take you under their wing a little bit. It's like standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, uh, it, it's, I hate to sort of inf- like infantile, infantilized, fan- I don't, how, what's that word? Infantilized? Yeah. Uh, but we, it, it's a very, um, safe nurturing kind of environment to to sort of come up in as a, as stand-ups i think we probably take it for granted because we don't have a choice you know uh, it's such a good thing um you know we i don't personally visit the neighboring scenes as much as i would like to but the lafayette scene is something very special and i gotta give credit where credit's due i mean you know the names all the guys that that are the heavy hitters here that are responsible for all that I'm just really thankful. Uh, I've, I I was aware of that during the first year, just just knowing like this is this is unique. We're we're really lucky to have this, and I cannot imagine what the typical open micer goes through coming up in a scene that's not 
Because, I mean, I get my feelings hurt in the scene all the time. I cannot imagine what it would be like to have a more hostile uh, environment to come up in. Only The only thing I can think is that it would make you grow up with more, or like com- as a comedian, grow up with more armor. You would just, you would be tougher because you would have been sort of um, bred in the flames. I, I don't know, Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, um, like we got in at a good time. Like the scene's already established. The audiences are trained. It's like we didn't have to do any of the hard work, you know, but of building the scene, but we're getting all the benefits of it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of that. <laughs> right. And so do you guys think that, you know, that sort of helped with your progression to get ahead more than a, a first year comic maybe usually would and, you know, worse circumstances that most other scenes are. Yeah, I definitely think so. Yeah, I think so because there's there's already times every now and then where I've driven home with no radio on, like that was the this is feels so fucking terrible right now. And this is in such a good, like pretty easy supportive scene with pretty uh good audiences, you know. And I hear horror stories of people in like bigger cities a lot of the time when you're there's so many comedians, you're trying to like a lot of places where even like you get bumped off an open mic where it's hard just to do an open mic. And if you do, it's a bunch of other comedians who aren't your friends. They're just trying to fuck you up. So like I said, I couldn't imagine. Sometimes it feels so hard already. I couldn't imagine it, what it would be like if I had to go come up somewhere where it really is hard, you know? Same. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a double-edged sword. I mean, you, you know, you're on New York or LA or even Atlanta for for that matter, and you know, you're you're paying five dollars to do an open mic and bringing twenty people, and then you're still getting bumped by someone else who's paying more money and bringing more people. You know, I I think we we do take the stage time for granted down here, but you know, and this is something that they you know they're talking about on we're dying down here. They're whole podcast is pretty much based around the double-edged sword of just staying here and the fact that there's no opportunities no one's coming through here at least on our scene i know you guys have have way more than we do but for the most yeah. part even on y'all scene too there's hardly anybody coming through there's hardly any opportunities yeah there's a supportive scene but that's just because if you're not supportive to everybody then you know that that's that's kind of what you have to do in order to have a comedy scene even yeah yeah but i feel like the yeah. lafayette scene is making such a name for itself that it's going to be that that stop for people that are on tour oh it already is you know it, yeah. it's yeah. it's going to be one of those and- bumping places like i mean it already is but it's going to be a, a a number one stop for bigger comedians coming through Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll see. Um, that's another benefit to this scene, I think, too. It's because you get to see, like, I, I saw like Bobby Kelly, um, Gray Fitzsimmons, uh, Rory Scovel, Joe List, a lot of other people, but I remember some that really stood out, like Harlan Williams. 
And um, when you see them in that room that Jason had booked, you know, it's like a 300-people room, and we're kind of crammed in there, and they've got low ceiling. And, like, you go if you go to a lot of showcases with a lot of other comedians, local comedians that are, like, in your scene and stuff, and you do these showcases, and people are loving it, and you're like, oh, we're killing it, you know, I'm doing great. You have to go watch someone like that, and then you realize, like, oh, I'm not even fucking close to a real comedian. You know, when you see somebody who's a master at it, do it, you know? And I think think every comedian in Lafayette should be making an effort to make as many of those shows as they can because I think it will help you grow as a comedian or at least keep you motivated, you know, where you don't get complacent and realize. You know, keep keeps you realize that you have a long way. You still have a lot, a lot to learn, and you can get so much better. Yeah, Michael, have you had a moment where you were, you know, you bought a ticket to see somebody, or you saw somebody on a showcase or something, where you just kind of went, "Oh fuck!" Like I'm not even close to being what I can be yet. Uh. Man, I, I have that experience with some of the people here locally uh, from time to time. But, um, you know, <laughs> geez, Maria Bamford came to town. Oh, yeah. Jesus, man. I mean, just that kind of pedigree. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just, it doesn't take much. It really doesn't. If you're kind of self-aware and, and and pay attention, it doesn't take much for somebody to come along and really just, and then like Drew was saying, it's just, it's such a good and healthy thing to constantly be reminded. I'm trying to think, you know, I've, I've paid a lot of money to see the big names in places like New Orleans, the Smoothie King Center. I, mean, I saw when like Joe, Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle did that tag team show and Tom Segura showed up. I didn't even know he was going to be there. And, you know, those kind of things have happened. But I feel like when you're in an arena, it's not as much of a shell shock when you're sitting in a room, like what drew described and it's 300 people packed in there. And Mark Norman is just laying everyone in there to waste. Uh, and then, you know, 300 people leave and another 300 come in right behind that does it again. Um, it's yeah, it it is awe inspiring. Um, but like I say, just, I try to be pretty self-aware. And so I, I, it doesn't really take much to get me to be like, no, you, you, this is such a long journey you i think it's about settling into like always being on the road like that the the i hate to use cliches but like the journey is the destination kind of thing because it's just too overwhelming to to compare yourself to more experienced comics and and it should should be really easy to get discouraged right yeah i mean there can definitely be a lot of reality checks and comedy for for people um i know the, the last time i had a big one I hosted for Daniel Van Kirk over in Mobile. And um, I'd never seen any of his stand up before. I'd only seen him on a couple of podcasts. And I, in, my, I, in the green room, asking him how he wants to be brought up. He was like, oh, just be nice. You know, just be nice to me and all, all this. And, blah, blah, blah. and he's like the nicest, quiet, like softest spoken guy ever. And I go on stage and I'm like working for it. I'm like, oh, this is a, a shitty crowd of 20 people, dude. I'm fucking, you know barely getting laughs on some of my best stuff i bring up the the feature and then bring up the feature bombs a little bit but i'm like yeah this is a tough crowd fuck these guys and daniel van kirk goes up there as a storyteller comic who does impressions 
which should not fucking work in Mobile or anywhere in the South because everyone here hates all of that. And he crushes in a way to these 20 random people in Mobile, Alabama, where I was sitting Mm -hmm. there going, oh, I'm not even in the conversation of a good comic anywhere. Right. Like, the what is this? (laughs) Absolutely. That that is such a... I'm right there. I was hanging on your every word, just picturing it. Um, The... You know, I had to take this stupid corporate training today and they were talking about um, some doctor. I don't know. They quoted this thing and they basically said that when you're communicating with people, if you want to be an effective communicator, that like 55% of it is body language and like 37% of it is like the tone of your voice and stuff like that, nonverbals. And then there's like 7% of it is the actual words that you say. And as comics, we know that you could get up there. And the, the the right, carefully chosen few words could be all the difference in the world between something landing and not. So as a comic, I'm taking this in and I'm thinking, oh, that's bullshit. But then I started thinking about it. And what you were describing, there's set and setting. There's um, sort of you can you can load people and prime them to be like, this next person is the national headliner that's coming in and they're going to be amazing. And you can kind of hypnotize people into just accepting that the, that the headliner is going to come in and destroy. But I think that a headliner carries himself with a certain body language and it's all those nonverbal things that people apparently pay way more attention to than whatever you say. And they smell it. They, they can smell the person who's maybe kind of questioning. They can smell the person who's a little bit less experienced, a little bit nervous, a little bit questioning themselves. Uh, they can see the fake, um, like the fake bravado, the fake, you know, I'm faking it till I make it kind of thing. They see, they sense all that. And I think that they're just primed to respond to a headliner in that way. Uh, because that, there's there's so much unspoken X factor kind of stuff going on there when they take the stage that that's a factor. And that, but but I don't want to take away from all the experience that they're bringing to the table as well and talent. John Mulaney was saying some people are just more talented than you <laughs> when he was talking about Robin Williams. Uh, and I'm not you know whatever. And don't take that that I'm just being generic. But uh, well, that reminds yeah. me. Uh, you know when we saw Sean Patton in Mobile. Jacob, like when yeah. when he came out, it was just like it, you could. Ju- there was just an aura about him. Just as soon as he stepped on that stage, it was like I own this room, and yeah. that was a, one of the times where I saw him perform, and I was just like, "Holy shit! I am nowhere near uh, this dude's level. Like I am gum on this guy's shoe," and made me want to step it up after that because that dude was just. <laughs> incredible and i i don't know if i could ever have that level of confidence like i still get on stage and i'm like is this is this like because you guys know i mean you have you'll have a joke that will go to an open mic and it'll destroy one night and -hmm. then the next night it's crickets and i'm like what am i doing wrong with this joke like why did it work one night and not work the next i don't know if I would have that level of confidence to be like, it's going to work every night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we talk about that kind of stuff a lot um, on and off the podcast. uh, And, and, you know, Tyler was trying to encourage me the other day and he was saying that, you know, we, 
we do a lot of stuff at the same open mics to the same people over and over and over again. And yeah. we have a lot of that experience of doing something and then you go and the next night it doesn't work. And you're trying to think about all the little subtle ways you might've changed it or the context mm-hmm. was different. Um, but he was saying that you know, we went to new Orleans and I did like a five or 10 minute set in front of a new crowd and did a lot of the same jokes he's heard me do <clears throat> for over the last eight weeks, a bunch of times. And then they got all, it, it went really well. And he was just like, that's the thing. You don't know whether you're actually doing anything wrong or not, unless you get in front of a, a variety uh, more. I feel like Jason, for example, Jason uh, JP, he, he can write a lot of jokes and try things a lot where he's rarely trying things in an open mic setting. Mm-hmm. He, he's typically building his act in front of ticketed crowds. Uh, and so it's just a different experience and it's hard to get out of the, if open mics are most of what you're doing, it's really difficult to get out of that rut and start getting some momentum from doing more ticketed shows. Drew, you've, you've done uh, certainly more ticketed shows than I have in the time we've been doing comedy. Would you say that it's easier to develop material when you get away from the open mic scene? I don't know. I don't really develop material outside of an open mic. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll mess with the, the set list to try to see how things flow better. And uh, maybe I might play with the line or something. But I haven't really, um, I haven't really worked on stuff outside of an open mic. I just never had. Um, I normally don't get that much time when I'm up there to be playing around with jokes. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. usually it's ten minutes. You don't really have a lot of time to um, sneak a bit, try to try a bit. If I try a two minute bit and a ten minute set, and it like totally bombs it's too short a set you know it could totally i can lose the crowd for the whole rest of the uh the whole rest of the set too easily you know yeah yeah well jacob and jason do you guys typically try to start your set strong like do you go out of your way to be like i'm coming out of the gate with something that i'm 100 percent confident with well jason's lucky if he hits a strong note in his set It's really probably going to take him the full 10 minutes to get there. Uh, uh-huh. I thought I'd get you fired. I, uh, I have something that usually works every time that I will pull out as my opener um, pretty regularly. Something that I know works and will get people into it, you know? And it's very rare that I could pull that bit out that doesn't get a reaction to where I'm like, oh, like this is going to be a tough crowd. But I I have one solid bit that I usually start with lately that I know will will get the crowd, you know, in that laughing mood and then pretty much just go into whatever, you know, I have planned after that. Sometimes I don't even have a plan. I'll just Mm -hmm. like, what bit do I think will work here? And I'll go into that. You know, I don't, really have a plan unless I'm doing like a, a an actual ticketed show or a, you know, mm-hmm. a feature or something like that. Yeah. Gotcha. See, my process is a lot more nuanced because I'm a lot better at comedy, but I know that Drew watches Kill Tony. Uh, like, so when I'm writing jokes, my jokes usually like I'll, my bits, one bit is usually around one minute, right? 
So I write that one minute bit in a way as if I was doing it on Kill Tony, where it has to start with a big punch and it has to have several jokes per that minute, several punches in that minute. So I want to make it to where no matter what bit I start with, it should capture your attention because mm-hmm. every single bit, you know, I don't really have a set list that's very linear to where at the end of the 10 minutes, you're like, oh, we talked about this one thing, but no one seems to really mind that I'm jumping from topic to topic because when I change the topics at the end of the joke, it grabs you instantly because yeah. it's the big punch and then punch, punch, mm-hmm. punch, and then the big punch of the new topic, you know, so it's, it's yeah. all about that sort of you know small punch little 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 and then you know big finale yeah big finish yeah i was i was really really bad at segues like i didn't know how to end a joke and start a new one i just really uh a joke is just the joke is over for me when i just run out of funny things to say Okay. You know, like that's usually when it like, ends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a lot of a lot of better written jokes, like things kind of come together at the end of the joke. You know, like Tyler Arsenal yeah. has a bunch of jokes like that. And um, later on, as I wrote more jokes, I found a way to I can if I say them in the right order. You don't need segues; they kind of roll into each other. But for a while, I didn't have that, and. My segues are some of the biggest laughs I got. And uh, it used to work for me. Like, then the rest, I would have them in on the bit because I would go from talking about this one thing. And then, you know, the next thing I say is like, so anyway, sometimes when I masturbate, Mm. even though I could be talking about something completely different, and that would just, that would, for a while, people are like, oh, I just love how you do that. And I'm like, I'm getting a lot of praise for being bad at something, really. I, you know? I've noticed that that's some of the biggest laughs that you can get is when you just go completely the opposite direction on yeah. a segue, uh, segue into just something like, like yeah. you said, just like, you know, so why not? You could be talking about, you know, like whatever. And then, like, you know, so when I'm masturbating and like that just shocks people into laughter, like yeah. that type of stuff. And, and oftentimes, it doesn't even have to be really something shocking or dirty. It's just the whole thing about they haven't they haven't been made aware. They have the audience hasn't been notified that we're done talking about this. Yeah, yeah. You know they're still on that. And just you know I'm like so I was listening to talk radio the other day. I got a big laugh on that because I'm just changing gears so fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like I said, it was a. It really, it wasn't like comedic genius. I was just bad at something and r- so bad at it that people laughed at it, you know? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think that that's something that, that I personally and I think a lot of people could do when, when a, you have a bit that bombs as well. Have a bit like that in your back, back pocket like I do. Because like if I do a bit that just eats complete shit, the room is completely silent, then I'll just pick up on a bit that goes, well, I watch a lot of gay porn and then immediately everyone in the room's like, why are you doing that? And they're back in. <laughs> like, so, I mean, that can, that can be a, a segue is a good tool. I think that you can use to your advantage. Cause even if the yeah, bit before see, was you weak, you know? Yeah. It, 
Yeah, because that doesn't even have to be a joke. It could just be you could just throw a, that could be a confession, really. You know, right? You just <laughs> you you're just unburdening yourself. You know, yeah. when you get laughs. <laughs> I forgot I was on stage. I'm just talking. <laughs> I, thought yeah. I, was, I thought I was seeing my therapist. <laughs> oh, no. oh man, oh, yeah. we're we're coming up on the end of the episode, Jacob. That hour went by fast. Wow. Yeah, that sucks, man. But uh, you know what? That's how these things go. You have an hour and then you don't. Um, Drew, Michael, thanks so much for coming on, guys. It's been an absolute blast to have you. Um, I probably already know what you guys have to promote, but please, the floor is yours. Tell everyone what they need to know about where they can follow you and what projects that you want people to uh, check out. Um. The only thing I really have right now for is gigs um, in Lafayette. I don't know the date yet, but it'll be in December. I'm doing Ghost Roast again. They just did a Ghost Roast 2 last night. So the winners from Ghost Roast 1 and Ghost Roast 2 are going to go up against each other. And I'm David Koresh, and I'll be going up against Prince, who will be Keys the Cop. Keys the Comic is the comedian. He's from Lake Charles. And then um, I guess Michael can kind of tell you all about the um, the first five YouTube channel and everything like that. Yeah, um, you know, what, what I found lately, uh, I've actually been kind of turning a corner and things have been uh, improving for me comedically, but I keep telling people yes to things that are kind of pulling me away from comedy. So I don't have, I don't have anything booked right now and no performances booked. And I'm, I've got like all of these video production things lined up. Like we're talking about doing some video based skits, like some sketch comedy stuff. Um, I'm producing all the ghost roast videos and then just all of the video stuff for the, uh, for the pot, for the first five podcasts. Uh, it's just my slate is full of like editing projects and, and shooting things. And so I've had this real come to Jesus moment with myself this past week where I've realized your goal is to get booked on shows. It's not to you know do everybody a bunch of favors and and be everybody's buddy and do a bunch of free work. And so you, I really kind of need to get my head out of this production mode and back into because I've got new bits. I have a, a joke I wanted to try Tuesday night at Artmosphere, and I you know it got so late and I I couldn't I had to go home and not be able to go up and do, and do the time. And it's this great joke that I can't wait to unveil. Like Drew was talking about, you just have this new thing you just want to get up and do it. So uh, not really a lot to promote other than to say I got to I got to I got to refocus my efforts on where they belong so that I can actually have dates to promote the next time we come back. Um, you can check out the first five podcast on Spotify. It's typically where people go to listen to it, the audio only version. And if you want to check out the uh, the the full production video, it releases every other Monday at seven o'clock in the morning so you guys can just go subscribe to our channel subscribe uh whatever follow us on what what do you even do on spotify do you you can subscribe to stuff on spotify right yeah, I don't, yeah you can follow okay. <laughs> yeah check us out check out our social media handles from there there's a you know i'm sure there's a link tree somewhere at the end of one of our episodes so you can check us out um but yeah that's all i've got to promote right now is editing work <laughs> Well, Jacob, tell everybody where we're going to be December 1st. Oh, where we're going to be December 1st, Daddy, is we're going to be over in Pensacola, Florida. We're going to be making our triumphant 
return to the city since they decided to tow our car away about four <laughs> or five years ago. We're deciding, Damn. you know what? Fuck you, city of Pensacola. Yeah, they we're towed the car. And, and We're going to come back. <laughs> and, and we're going to, as, as the prophet Kid Rock once said, we're going to paint your town red and paint your wife white up. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> That's what we're going to do to Pensacola, guys. Because we are opening. I'm opening. Jason's doing a guest spot on Mo Alexander's show at Final Music Hall, which is technically a fucking theater. And you better believe I'm going to be telling everybody that. Tickets are available right now at VinylMusicHall.com. And we might even be, we might even make a little vlog about this whole experience. We might film some stuff over there. We might film our sets. We might film some stuff in the green room. Who knows? Will there be possums? Yes. Will there be chaos? Yes. Will there be comedy? Yes. Buy a ticket. We might have to do an eating contest uh, and, and with Mo uh, eating wings. And, <laughs> and grinding so, through chicken yeah, wings. Yeah, grinding through some chicken wings. <laughs> do it for the Patreon. <clears throat> and also, that's, that's all I've got. I've been I've been swatting away comedy gigs like nobody's business. Focusing on this fucking theater show. What yeah. you got, Jason? Uh, thank, we're doing a Thanksgiving turkey massacre. My band falls from grace is going to be at the Drifter Hotel in New Orleans Saturday, November twenty fifth. It's thirty five twenty two Tulane Avenue in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, I'm not sure when the show starts. I think oh doors are at four, and day of tickets are going to be seventeen bucks. So if you want to go, get your tickets early. Go so go follow me. Uh, go follow Falls from Grace on um, uh, Instagram and stuff, and you can find everywhere you need to go. Tickets for all that. It's going to be an awesome show. I hear there's it's a pretty wild place. From what I hear, the last show they had there, there was a bunch of people running around naked. So I don't know what's going to happen this time, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, turkey. if you're running around naked, I'll be there, Daddy. Yeah, we'll see. If you want to see Jacob running around naked, come see the Falls from Grace show uh, at the oh, Drifter yeah. Hotel Saturday, November 25th. And uh, is that it? Is that everything, Jacob? Are we yeah, ready dude, to get out leave. of here? Let's, yeah, go. let's go. If you want to email us, email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com. Go to our link tree slash openmicerspodcast. Takes you everywhere you need to go. All our socials, Cash App. Uh, everything you need if you want to give us money. We got a PayPal on there. Go to openmikers.com and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll see you next week. This year, I'm thankful for our history tickets. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is a Zoo House LLC production.